and welcome back to the Stride Power Podcast. My name is Evan Schwartz and I work at Stride. I handle uh, the coaching and the elite athletes and the uh, different contexts there, as well as this cool side project we started, the Stride Power Podcast. Uh, this is the third official episode. We're going to be talking about understanding the basics and understanding the power meter metrics that you get with Stride. Uh, tacked on to the power number. There's a ton of useful info that you can use uh, to help your own training, but some people might be confused with the talk that they see about these different metrics. So this is a podcast to, you know, kind of aim to solve this problem of not necessarily knowing where to find the right literature or where to find the right explanations. My goal today is to kind of break it down and simply explain stuff uh, to you. So the first thing that I want to cover is what we're actually going to talk about today. So uh, the main thing that people know that Stride records is power, running power. Um, we're also going to talk about form power. We're going to talk about elevation. We're going to talk about cadence. We're going to talk about ground contact time, vertical oscillation, leg spring stiffness, and then also pace and distance um, are kind of offshoots that we can we can also talk about. So starting just from the top, uh, people when they get stride, they see that it's a running power meter. They see maybe, you know, the concept of power. They might be familiar with it. If you're a triathlete coming off of the bike, a bike power meter, um, you're, you're familiar with that concept of measuring your actual effort and measuring your actual expenditure rather than maybe how fast it takes you to run this kilometer distance at a time or this mile distance at a time or how many times your heart is beating on average in a minute associated with how long it's taken you to run that mile or in that moment, how fast is your heart beating? So what, what Stride does as a running power meter is it allows you to see your actual body's output of this power in real time. So the kind of high school physics definition or maybe going back to school you've done, um, there's all these equations that we have written up, but to simplify things, all you need to know is that power is equal to the work being done over time. So power in this case is displayed in the value watts. Um, if you have strides set up with a watch, a sports watch, you see stuff in real time, you're going to view that power number. It's going to be displayed in watts. And so with that, we can you know track not only how fast you're running, not only how far you're running, but actually what you're doing step by step, second by second, to actually produce that effort. Um, so if you already have a stride, you have set it up with your watch, let's just say, for example, runner, uh, that they are using a Garmin watch, uh, they have the stride power data field installed on their watch, so we're just gonna assume for this example that they can see power in real time. Uh, and they have it connected with their stride, they're wearing it on their wrist, they're out for a normal run. They're running flat, they're running hilly terrain, they're running races and everything. We're gonna assume for this example that our runner has stride power installed on their watch and they can see power real time. So the thing to see during real time is that power number, but after the fact, there's all these great metrics that get recorded that you can see in real time uh, with a different Garmin app, but we're just going to stick with this plain example of you can see your power in real time, but how do we actually kind of 
understand these metrics that are going on that are also being tracked. So the the next thing to kind of talk about after just power would be form power. And this is something that a lot of people see and they just don't understand. Um, the, the Stride Power Center will show form power. The uh, mobile apps will show form power, but people might not understand what that concept is. So form power is basically the power that is being generated and not being counted towards moving forward. And so people might hear that and think like, oh, why, why should I care about this? What does it actually matter? I, the one thing that I kind of want to stick to here for some of these metrics is right off the bat, knowing that on their face, so the individual number at that one second might not be the most important thing compared to just looking at your normal running power. The thing for a lot of these metrics that's going to be important is looking at the trends over time. So with form power, I can definitely read just the, the definition that we have uh, from our stride.com slash guide. Um, I'm going to be using this resource as well as the uh, understanding power meter basics from Steve Palladino of the Palladino Power Project. Um, with form power, it's the measurement of the amount of for, of the amount of power that is produced to maintain the runner's individual form, but is not put towards the metabolic cost of running forward. Form power is equal to the power used to move your body vertically up and down, in addition to any wasted power used to move you laterally, which is side to side. The lateral power component of form power is very small, so you'll see the form power trend very closely with your vertical oscillation, which we'll talk about later. Uh, decreases in your form power over time, again, this trend that we're referencing, uh, the decreases over time when running at similar training speeds is a good indication that you have improved your running economy, your running effectiveness, your, your overall efficiency. The main thing that I like to look at in my own personal analysis is the form power ratio. And so the thing that I look at is this, you know, power, how it relates to the form power over time. Um, for just a normal example, we'll take a, a look here. Let's say that we have an example runner that's running with you know stride power on their wrist. They can see power in real time, but then they notice that at the end of this uh, you know six mile run, this 10k run, that they felt a little sluggish. They felt a little inefficient. You can already feel that in 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 your body. You can already feel on a run when you sort of don't feel great at the end of a run, or maybe you feel great at the end of a run. Um, maybe you're getting more efficient as the run goes on. Um, with this example, we're going to look at a runner that is running between 220 watts for them and 230 watts for them. So at the beginning of the run, uh, they, they start out running about uh, eight minute mile pace, about five minute kilometer pace. Um, their form power is in the mid to high 50s. And that is, again, reference in wattage. This form power ratio, therefore, is point. Uh, 24.25, somewhere around 0.25 for them. So this ratio starting off that they can look at uh, is in the 0.24 to 0.25 range. 
as they go on, their overall power remains the same. So they're gonna stay in this band of 220 to 230 watts for their own run. This form power, however, is going to go up into the high 50s and then into the low 60s as the run went on. So the thing we're looking at, even though the average power stayed the same, the form power went up by a point or two and their form power ratio went up to about 0.26, 0.27. And this is just on a normal easy run. This isn't a workout. This is a normal easy run that our example runner runs all the time. And so the thing to identify here is that we've noticed that the form power ratio has gone up over the course of the run, which might signal a little bit of inefficiency, which might signal a little bit of tiredness in the training schedule. It might mean that you know, you were already kind of feeling tired, but you can see this number overall as it as that run goes on that, yes, you are a little bit more tired. Maybe you need to take an extra rest day. This is just a specific example here. Um, the other example that I could give for the form power ratio is let's say our example runner is training for a marathon and that marathon plan that they're following is uh, is 16 weeks long. So they're following the plan. They have their first marathon power target run. So let's say our runner is trying to average 300 watts for the whole course of the race. They start running uh, th this marathon power, you know, marathon target run. They're averaging 300 watts. Their form power ratio is point. Let's just say it's 0.28 at the very start of the season. Eight weeks later, they notice that their form power ratio has actually gone down to 0.22. So keeping the same power overall, they've managed to get a little bit more uh, increased efficiency, a little bit uh, better running effectiveness, running efficiency, running economy. There's a bunch of labels for it, but in our uh, case, we're only looking at that ratio between the two. This can help signify a trend between these two values that many people might not look at right now. So the thing to know is if you're checking any past runs or checking any past races or looking at any um, you know, current runs or going forward, if you want to keep this metric in mind, is look at the ratio between the two. If you have a normal easy day and you notice your form power starts a little lower and starts to drift a little higher over the course of the run, that might signal a little bit of inefficiency during that run. It might signal a little bit of fatigue overall. So that's what we're going to reference with form power. Uh, again, the sort of uh, you know math behind it is the power that is not dedicated towards moving you forward. This can be the up and down power, which is the power that's used to lift you, um, but it can also be the braking force. It can also be the leg swing, the uh, side to side, the, the lateral force. Mainly it's the up and down side to side. Um, the thing that I would caution with looking at this is looking at this one number and saying something's wrong with my running if I'm not running this exact um, form power. Not necessarily. Again, we're looking at this trend overall over time. So with form power, it's a it's a great metric to kind of start with, start to get kind of familiar with if you haven't already used it. Uh, but the trend is important there. So the 
Next metric that I want to go on to, um, actually, I wanted to reference one more thing with form power as I'm scrolling through these documents that I'm referencing. I, the Palladino Power Project, Steve Palladino, his great document, the Understanding Power Meter Metrics. Uh, he has a great chart here that shows the form power ratio at FTP, which is that functional threshold power, which is also called critical power. You might see it referenced as CP. It is that about one hour power, if you've ever done a critical power test or on the Stride Power Center, you've ever uh, entered a 5K or 10K time, you've seen that CP value, you know your zones are based off your CP. Uh, the thing that I wanna reference here before we move on from form power is the form power ratio at FTP. So if you run exactly the wattage, let's say for our example runner, their FTP, again, their marathon that they're training for is 300 watts. Their FTP is around uh, 325 to 330. In this example, a form power ratio, so again, that 0.2 something, 0.3 something, 0.1 something value, 0.25 and above is below average. 0.23 so 0.25 is near average, less than 0.23 is good, and less than 0.2, so less than 20%, is approaching uh, elite runners or world-class runners that uh, maybe look super smooth while they're running and they look like they're just kind of gliding across, across the ground. Uh, this is some relation, their form power overall. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to go into here is talking a little bit about elevation. So Stride in the Power Center or the mobile app will show elevation depending on your personal situation. Um, we have support articles referencing this, uh, but the main thing to know is that Stride has a barometric altimeter. Uh, in it that it will always record, always, always record. If you have your stride paired with a watch, the GPS watch will override the elevation data collected. But if you're familiar with doing a offline sync in the mobile app, or you're familiar with looking at stride elevation data, you know that uh, elevation is collected by stride. So I wanted to reference that um, because some people might not necessarily understand all the metrics that they see when they're looking at specific activities. Um, the next metric that I want to reference as it stays towards this little bit more simple end is cadence. So uh, some people reference cadence in RPM or SPM. One value uh, is half of the other, the other value is twice as much, uh, with steps per minute being more. Um, cadence is the number of times the same foot, in this example it's going to be your right foot, contacts the ground over a one minute period. So average cadence is around 80 to 90 per minute, um, you know, foot strikes per minute, rotations per minute. Uh, steps per minute, which is also known as stride rate, uh, is the number of times both feet contact the ground over a one minute period. So the average stride rate is typically double that of your cadence. Um, in this case, it's going to be around 160 to 180, up to 190, 200. Uh, a lot of people have a idea about 180 being an optimal cadence. That isn't necessarily 
um, the case for everybody, but 180 is toted as some sort of average. Um, comparing across different runners, again, uh, 180 steps per minute, uh, 90 RPM isn't necessarily the optimal for everybody. Uh, you should definitely be able to see trends in your cadence. Again, referencing these trends, if you are running a race and all of a sudden you notice that in your 5K, the, the fifth kilometer, that ending uh, part of your 3.1 mile race, all of a sudden you notice your speed was a little bit slower. Uh, you know, your power's a little bit less. You were felt yourself overstriding. It's because your cadence dipped down a little bit too much. Um, this is just another kind of basic metric that you can kind of reference uh, afterwards. You can pay attention to your cadence in real time. Some people run with a metronome. Uh, they, they aim for directly right on. Maybe they found out that 178 steps per minute is their optimal uh, you know, stride rate, their cadence, they needed to be right at that um, 89, uh, you know, steps per minute off that same foot. In your case, you will find what the optimal cadence is for you. Again, this trend is something to look at. Let's say you notice that there is a trend and a similarity between your overall form power and your cadence. As your cadence goes down, your form power goes up, this might be a cue for you personally to increase your cadence a little bit, to not overstride as much, to not break as much. Maybe you start to swing your arms from side to side or your trunk of the top of your body rotates a little bit more when your cadence slows down because you're trying to push off the ground harder to keep that speed going, uh, to keep that power up, but the exact same. Maybe you identify that, hey, anytime I dip below 175 steps per minute, when I'm trying to run at my target marathon power, my form power goes up. So this is a real example for being able to identify the trends between different metrics that you might not already be using. Um, there are different cadences, again, based on your speed, based on the terrain or the surface you're running on, based off of your uh, intensity. So if you're running uh, right at your marathon wattage, your your you know your goal race wattage on a flat on a flat track, you might be doing repeats on a track. Then all of a sudden you start doing hill repeats. You might notice your cadence is a little bit quicker, a little bit slower. Cadence varies on the uh, type of surface and then elevation that you're also running on. So the main thing again that I, I want to kind of tote here and kind of promote here is that you should look for the trend overall. The biggest thing is that cadence will typically go down as you start to fatigue. Um, if you are looking to improve your cadence overall, you can absolutely work on this. Uh, again, I mentioned these uh, sort of metronome um, apps, or if you uh, have a song that you know the beats per minute to, uh, either it's 90 or 180, somewhere around there, you can do that as sort of a cue to maybe practice once a week at the end of a run, at the end of your long run, keeping your cadence up and seeing how that impacts these uh, other metrics. So again, cadence will decline as fatigue sets in. Uh, it all depends on your specific situation. The next thing that I want to look at is related to this step motion. It's ground contact time. Uh, you might see it labeled as GCT. That's just the shortening of ground 
contact time. It's displayed in milliseconds, uh, which will be shortened to MS, and it's the duration that your foot is actually touching the ground through that running cycle. Um, ground contact time, typically somewhere in a range around the mid 100s all the way up to the high 200s. If you're walking, your ground contact time is obviously going to be a lot higher because your, your foot is spending a lot more time on the ground. If you're running sprints or these strides or these fast repeats, you'll see your ground contact time usually goes down. If you're running hill repeats, your ground contact time is going to be a little bit higher uh, just because of how you are landing and then rolling and then pushing off the ground. The same sort of thing goes along with ground contact time uh, in reference to cadence. You want to look at ground contact time compared to the power you're running at, compared to the overall pace that you're running at, compared to the surface you're running on. Uh, the trend here is going to be the important thing. Um, a lot of people ask a question about how do I know what a good value is? And that might be what somebody has a question of for all of these metrics. What's a what's a good FTP? Uh, so that functional threshold power, that critical power. What's a good form power ratio? We talked about that percentage a little bit. What's a good cadence number? What's a good ground contact time value? Um, the important thing that I would say is all in these individual cases, if you're working with a coach, they might be a little bit more knowledgeable about what they think is good in air quotes. Uh, if you notice in your overall training, you know that, hey, I feel better. I run better uh, looking at this past race when my cadence is at 180, my ground contact time is less than 220 milliseconds. You know that. So that's something you can practice and kind of follow that trend. I wouldn't ever say that there is this uh, kind of tearing out or structure of what a good ground contact time is, but generally you'll notice that uh, the trend is, again, that thing that matters as your power increases, as your speed increases, as your cadence increases, generally that ground contact time goes down. Um, the last thing to kind of touch on here is specifically if you have identified, maybe you work with a coach, Maybe you see that my ground contact time is a little bit higher at this certain pace than I'd like at this certain power than I'd like. You can do things like plyometrics for helping with ground contact time and then also some of these other biomechanic metrics that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, you might ask what plyometrics are. Uh, if you've ever seen people at the start line of a race, or you've ever seen people at a track or just on a you know a field doing things like high knees or doing skips or what people call uh, butt kicks, where you're trying to um, touch your heel uh, underneath your butt, or you're doing all these different sort of jumping movements, uh, plyometrics reference a specific grouping of exercises that are focused on making you more springy, making you bounce off the ground a little bit better, just targeting those specific uh, muscles and then also patterns that your body has to go through to get used to bouncing off the ground quicker. Because how do you expect to practice, uh, you know, running the last half of your race, the last um, little kick of your race at the very end, 
without fatiguing uh, necessarily or fatiguing as much, you have to practice this sort of value of having a lower ground contact time. So that's where these plyometrics come in. Um, I'll reference a specific sort of set of plyometrics here in just a little bit in reference to these other um, metrics that we talk about right now. So the next one I'm going to talk about is vertical oscillation, which gets shortened to VO. So vertical oscillation is measured in centimeters. It is the value of the center of mass and how the center of mass changes. That's called oscillation going up and down uh, as you move forward. So Generally, as we go through this step, you land your foot on the ground, your body, that center of mass is closest to the ground when you're loading and getting ready to push off the ground for that step. And then when you push off the ground and as your whole body rises up, that highest point is that of your center of mass is generally right before you start to get ready to plant your foot underneath your body for that next step. So the vertical oscillation is the difference in how much your body goes up and down each step. Uh, typical values here, uh, somewhere between four and a half, five up to nine to 10 centimeters. Uh, everybody is different. So typically if you're a little bit shorter, runner, you won't have as much of a vertical oscillation. Typically, if you're a taller runner, you might have a little bit more vertical oscillation. If you're a, um, maybe you're used to a little bit more uh, sprinting style of running and you don't necessarily um, just run, you know, without a ton of bounce in your step, maybe you have a very big bounce to your step, your vertical oscillation is generally going to be higher. Um, one of the metrics that Steve Palladino mentions in his resource guide is that he looks at the vertical ratio is what he calls it. Um, this isn't something that necessarily I'd uh, suggest people pay a ton of attention to, but it is a very, very good metric to keep track of if you are looking at these other metrics stacked on top of each other. The vertical ratio is your vertical oscillation in meters divided by your stride length in meters. It's not currently on the stride power center. Um, some of these other metrics like the form power ratio aren't currently on there as well, but this is something that if you're interested in, you can take into your own hands. Um, the form power ratio and vertical ratio uh, kind of uh, typically tie together as well, like we mentioned how that form power and vertical oscillation kind of go along with each other during that course of the run. The, Vertical ratio, again, is this thing to compare if you're comparing to your friend, right? If you say, hey, uh, my friend is six feet tall, I'm five feet tall, I notice that their overall vertical oscillation is a little bit higher. They might move up and down each step about nine centimeters, where I'm only moving six centimeters. Does that mean I'm better? No. You two could have the exact same vertical ratio. So the amount that your stride length is in distance compared to the amount that you're moving up and down could be the exact same ratio to your friend. So you're exactly equal there. Maybe you notice that your friend is a very bouncy runner. So their vertical ratio is a little bit higher, which means that maybe you can say, hey, you should focus on not bouncing up and down as much. You should do these specific targeted drills to help you. And then all of a sudden, they're 30 seconds faster than you at, at 10K. And then all of a sudden you notice you have this thing that you can work on. So you um, look at this value. Uh, again, this isn't a real world example. It's just sort of theoretical. Um, going along 
you know, repeating the same things I said earlier, the overall thing to look at is the trend. Let's say now for this case, you notice that as you get towards the later stages of a race, your cadence decreases, your form power ratio increases. So those are two metrics we've already talked about. Um, your ground contact time also increases as your cadence is going down. You're spending more time on the ground per step. But then also your vertical ratio, your vertical oscillation overall is going up. All of a sudden we can see just from data that we already have, you already have these you know, races run with stride, you already have these workouts, these easy runs, we can all of a sudden say, hey, something's clicking in my head. I see all of these related to each other now that I've had this pointed out. I can start acting on these. I can notice that at the end of a race, I can't let my cadence get below X value. I cannot focus on trying to bounce up and down off the ground because I know for me that makes me less efficient. Um, this is where this vertical oscillation and vertical ratio come in. Again, uh, talking about specific drills, we will talk about a couple of these later, um, but you can definitely do drills to train to improve your vertical oscillation or to uh, decrease it a little bit by increasing your stride length overall. Um, the last metric, dedicated metric that I want to talk about here is the leg spring stiffness. And this, like I said, is maybe one of the more mysterious biomechanical values or biometrics that we show on the power center. People don't necessarily know what to do with it. Um, I want to explain it a little bit more simply and a way that people can understand. Um, if you look at it, LSS, leg spring stiffness, it is the measure of how well you as a runner are recycling the energy that you're applying into the ground. Um, you can think of your leg as a spring on which your body bounces. So you, each step your leg kind of compresses a little bit, and then you pop off the ground, you, you push off the ground, you keep running forward. Um, if you have a very stiff spring, the less energy you have to put into that spring to propel yourself. If you think of a uh, really, really, really taut spring that you push down and then all of a sudden it bounces back into place. If you think of that as a type of leg, then you think of maybe a slinky where it just compresses super easy, then kind of is super loose. You can move it all around, but it doesn't have a lot of um, bounce back. This would be the difference between a very high leg spring stiffness value as that tight spring that you push a little bit on it, then all of a sudden it bounces off the ground uh, versus a spring that's very, very loose uh, that would be defined as a low leg spring stiffness value. Um, the metric leg spring stiffness goes along with measuring the stiffness of the muscles and tendons in your lower leg. If you increase the LSS, it can indicate that you have a uh, running economy, running effectiveness, overall running efficiency improvement over time. Again, this is something that you might track over the course of a season. Uh, the other thing that people question is, again, what is a good leg spring stiffness value? There is no necessarily good value. I uh, have a great table here from the Palladino Power Project handout. Uh, the normal leg spring stiffness value that we see at Stride is somewhere between 6 to 14. 
Again, on its face, this number might not necessarily be a huge clue to you. You might see it drop over the course of a run. You might see it rise over the course of a run. The average value that we see is somewhere between 6 and 14. The way that I like to conceptualize this and look at it is the leg spring stiffness value divided by your weight in kilograms. So we have a table here from the Palladino Power Project handout um, talking about the sort of distributions that uh, Steve Palladino has seen um, and that us at Stride, we have definitely seen these sort of things as well. Um, we'll start by talking about a low leg spring stiffness value. Uh, somewhere around 0.11 to 0.125 is classified as pretty low. Um, again, this is the value uh, of your leg spring stiffness divided by your weight in kilograms, and this will be divided out to a decimal. So um, if you uh, you know, open the stride.com slash power center, you go to your recent run, and then you're really curious about, oh, what is my leg spring stiffness value divided by my weight in kilograms? Um, how do I stack up? This is going to be the sort of reference guide for it. So 0.11 to 0.25 is classified as typically pretty low. Um, however, I don't necessarily like to look at it as pretty low. I like to look at it as really low-hanging fruit, a really easy thing that you can improve upon. So with again, with these drills we're going to talk about in just a little bit, we'll talk about how leg spring stiffness can increase over time and how we can specifically target this. Um, we'll move on to the what is below average, anywhere between about 0 0.126, 0 0.128, all the way up to 0.140 would be a little bit below average. Um, so right at average is just above that. 0.143 up to 0.155 would be classified as pretty average. Above average is anything 0.158 to 0.170. And then above 0.170 is pretty good leg spring stiffness divided by your weight in kilograms. So um, all you need to do uh, is if you, you know, want to take a look at your most recent run and see how you stack up, just take that overall number that you see. Um, in our example runner's case, they might have a, a, a leg spring stiffness overall of 8.3, 8.4, somewhere around there. Um, they weigh a certain amount in kilograms, and their leg spring stiffness divided by their weight in kilograms is 0.13. Over the course of this example run, again, we were talking about how they were um, running between 220, 230 watts. Uh, their form power went up over time. We noticed their form power ratio went up over time. Their leg spring stiffness actually went down. The uh, trend here is a lower leg spring stiffness, a leg spring stiffness going down over time also might signify some fatigue, um, might signify some inefficiency overall. Uh, the trend that we also notice here is the ground contact time at the exact same uh, run as that leg spring stiffness is going down, that form power ratio is going up. We're seeing this overall inefficiency as the run increases. This example runner's ground contact time 
goes up. Their cadence, you guessed it, goes down. Their stride length is actually trying to increase over the course of the run, and their vertical oscillation is also going up over the course of the run as they get faster. So this makes total sense after we've talked about all these metrics. Their average power is remaining the same. So on its face, you might say, good job, mission accomplished between 220, 230 watts for the course of that run. That's a nice recovery run, uh, maybe slightly up-tempo run. Their form power overall went up over the course of the run, so that might be some sort of signifier to them. That form power ratio goes right in line. It increases a little bit. We might say, hey, there's a signal here. We're seeing that over the course of this run, after we took a look at it, the form power ratio has kind of gone up. What about these other metrics? I also notice that my leg spring stiffness value has gone down. My ground contact time has gone up. My cadence has gone down from about 180 down to 170. So that's a loss of 10 steps a minute. My stride length has increased. Um, and my vertical oscillation has also gone up by about a centimeter, centimeter and a half over the course of the whole run. So this runner might need to then focus on, once they see these values, of keeping their cadence a little bit quicker, which might all of a sudden fix these issues. Uh, this wouldn't be a real-world example. Um, we, we wouldn't necessarily suggest this for everybody, but this runner might try this on their next recovery run Focus on keeping their cadence up and seeing how that trend behaves. Um, so that's the leg spring stiffness value. It's not really useful to compare the raw values, the values that Stride reports in the Power Center and in the mobile app. But if you divide it by your weight in kilograms, you can keep a little bit more historical or you can even compare to somebody else. Um, leg spring stiffness definitely uh, interacts with some of the other biomechanical values. So things like that vertical oscillation, if you think your leg is very springy, you might bounce off the ground a little bit more, but then if you notice that your form power ratio is a little bit higher than you'd like, that bouncing up, that extra energy that you're recycling, you might do some drills to focus on moving forward to get that translated to moving forward. So um, the overall thing that we wanna look at again is this trend. Um, I'll just go through them all again. As you uh, start to increase your power, your pace usually gets faster. Your cadence typically increases is something we can focus on. Your ground contact time will go down a little bit. It'll decrease. Your vertical oscillation, that kind of ratio we talked about, might stay the same. It might decrease. Uh, overall, just focus on maybe not having that mental cue to bounce up and down as much off the ground. Your leg spring stiffness might go down over the course of the run, which is completely normal as fatigue sets in. We just want to look at these other cues related to it. And the form power, we want to keep that form power ratio overall around the same and hopefully not have it increase over the course of the run, course of a race. Um, but as fatigue sets in, that's 100% natural. So what I want to reference now is uh, a little bit more about the biomechanics that we can do with specific drills. And this also comes from Steve Palladino. Uh, this is a 
reference to leg spring stiffness and the response to plyometrics in distance runners. So specifically talking about distance runners incorporating plyometrics, these drills, you might have heard them called, uh, into a training program and seeing how the leg spring stiffness is influenced by it. Um, so leg spring stiffness, again, typically related to the, the tendons, the muscles, the ligaments um, in the lower leg. I, the thing that we're going to look at is, in this example case, the leg spring stiffness value at the beginning of a season and the leg spring stiffness maybe 12 weeks later at the end of a season, at the end of a race. Um, the drill pattern that we have here, I'll try and link this guide because it's super handy, um, but Steve has a ton of great resources for this specific stuff of how to, you know, train with stride and improve these different biomechanics. These form drills that he calls them were advised in this use case to runners uh, two to three times per week. Uh, he says that he had uh, several high school runners uh, who were male that he coached um, doing a plyometric program three times per week from November through February. On February, they started practicing with their high school track team. Their high school track team didn't do these drills, so they stopped doing the drills. By a month later, with you know a month of not doing these drills, uh, Steve in his analysis had seen that their leg spring stiffness value had dropped. Uh, and so he told them, hey, why don't you pick up doing these drills that we were doing before? Um, these plyometrics specifically were... 20 meter sections of two to four times each. So you go down 20 meters, you come back, and then you might go one more time out and come back. That's four. So going 20 meters is one length, two to four times 20 meters of these drills. The thing that he wrote to emphasize here is the feeling of a bounce or springiness or quickness of ground contact time. So again, we're specifically trying to practice replicating this value, this feeling uh, that we want to encourage happen in the end of a race, at the end of a run, at the end of a long run, at the end of a workout. So we're going to practice feeling bouncy. We're going to practice feeling springy. We're going to practice feeling quick off the ground. Um, you can do these uh, in shoes, without shoes, if you're wearing racing flats, if you're uh, wearing just normal training shoes, it doesn't matter. The surface, uh, any surface you're typically comfortable on, a lot of people like doing them maybe on grass, or if you're finishing up a long run in a parking lot or outside your, your front door on the concrete or asphalt is totally fine. Um, whatever you find most convenient for your situation. So the drills that Steve has written down here, uh, the first one is called an A-skip. And so uh, this, again, I'll try and link this so you can copy and paste and maybe you can look up a video for this. But an A skip is a pretty typical skip that you see. So you start on two feet, you put your left foot forward and then you start skipping, but you focus on the foot that is not on the ground when you're planting. You focus on driving that knee up and you focus on the planting foot being very, very stiff as in very bouncy, as in very... Uh, very fast of return of energy. So that foot that you're pushing off the ground of, uh, don't focus on going straight up, but focus on just making it very bouncy off the ground. So do that for 20 meters, 
um, do that for 20 meters back. The next one is what is called uh, butt kickers. And so this is actually a really fun one. Um, you start moving forward, uh, kind of in place at first. You bring your heels each step to your butt. So kind of as close as you can, uh, kicking your butt, just kind of going forward. Um, and then when you get to that 20 meters, you turn around. You might take a second to catch a breather. Then you come back. Again, the thing to focus on here is a very short ground contact time. So don't focus on keeping that foot that's on the ground on the ground for a very long time. Try and keep bringing it off the ground as quick as you can comfortably. The next one, following it uh, up the, the butt kickers is what's called high knees. So a lot of people know this uh, one. It's pretty, pretty typical. You focus on bringing your knee uh, a little bit above hip level. Don't bring it up all the way to the middle of your chest uh, each step. But again, these steps are supposed to be very quick. We're focusing on bouncing off the ground as quick as possible with your knees kind of right at hip level is pretty much as high as you need to go. You're never going to bring your knees as high uh, when you're running. So we don't necessarily need to focus on, again, bringing your knee to chest level, just in place at first and then sort of go forward, but focus on keeping the, that ground contact time very short, bouncing off the ground, being very springy, just 20 meters out of high knees and then 20 meters back of high knees. The um, other three that I'd kind of, you know, read in this guide are a little bit more complicated. So I won't go through the trouble of explaining them because I'm going to butcher how to explain them. The uh, three others are stiff knee ankle springs, B skips and double skip B skips. So again, I will link this document if possible, and you can look up these other plyometric drills that he's listed. The thing that I would suggest is at least consider adding the drills into your program. If you don't find the exact drills that are listed here, that's fine. The thing that you want to replicate again is that bouncing off the ground as quick as possible and just feeling overall springy. Uh, the other things that we have here are these specific plyometrics instead of these other drills that I just like just went through. Um, there are things like box jumps. There's things like uh, single-legged stadium step hop-ups, single-leg hops, double-leg hops. Uh, the thing, again, I don't want to get bogged down in the details about this specific routine, is if this sounds interesting to you of potentially improving your ground contact time, your cadence, your vertical oscillation, your leg spring stiffness, I would encourage you to look up a plyometric routine for runners somewhere like YouTube or Google um, and specifically include that in your program two to three times per week. You can include it right after a workout. You, in, you can include it in the warm-up for your workout. You can include it uh, just on an easy run, or maybe you take two to three days off per week. Just do it on your off day so you get out and kind of moving a little bit on your rest day from running, um, but you're still encouraging that development of the running technique. Um, I would say don't get bogged down in the details. Just focus on the consistency of adding in a plyometric or drill routine. Try it for at least two weeks. You definitely owe it to yourself to try to do these drills four to six times over a two-week span to see if you can notice a difference. It takes 
about two weeks for these things to sort of kick in in your body and you to be able to kind of realize the benefit here. So I would definitely encourage everybody to at least try it, to at least think about it. Um, and you might surprise yourself and you might notice that, hey, all I had to do, instead of adding another you know, 10 miles a week, another 20 miles a week of running, adding in another running session, I added in these specific plyometrics and drills and I found these other biomechanics start to go down. Um, the last, last thing that I wanna talk about here is something specifically in the Stride Power Center and this is called RSS and it's uh, Running Stress score. So most programs, most people train by miles per week, kilometers per week. They might train by duration per week. What RSS does is it breaks down the actual intensity that you're training at for all the minutes that you train at for week per week with stride. And it allows you to kind of see the differences um, either over time or these individual sessions side by side. You can see specifically why a workout or a long run later in the season was harder than a workout or long run earlier in the season. If you do a completely flat run versus a hilly run, you might say, hey, my pace was the exact same. I'm super happy with that. But the RSS overall might be a little bit higher for that hillier run. Um, so breaking it down as an equation, the RSS is each second of your run a one second uh, power divided by your critical power. So that ratio of the power that you're putting out at that exact second to your critical power uh, multiplied by a constant. And so uh, you don't need to know what the constant is. All you need to know is your RSS. Um, this typical training week right here uh, will be laid out. Uh, the RSS on Monday is 35. So this was a relatively easy recovery day. The RSS on Tuesday was a short but very intense workout, a uh, very hard 20-minute tempo, and the RSS for this day is 89. Wednesday, again, we come back with a 40 RSS day, so again, a relatively easy run for this specific runner. Thursday, uh, the RSS is 75, and so this might have been another short kind of fast workout. So let's say the overall um, volume or overall total time of running was uh, you know eight times 400 meters, which is eight times a lap of the track. And it doesn't seem like a lot, right? It's only 3,200 meters of effort, which is you know two miles of effort, but that effort was a lot faster than your critical power, than your one hour race power. So it is very intense. Uh, Friday and Saturday are both very easy runs, uh, 23 and 30 respectively for their RSS. Sunday, we have a nice, easy long run, but it's a pretty long, long run. We're going to say it's uh, two hours long, um, run over pretty easy, easy terrain, no, no major hills to it. And the RSS there is 110. So we look at this stress and we say my mileage on Tuesday and Friday, I only ran a total of seven miles each day. But on Sunday, I ran a lot easier and I ran pretty decent like distance for my long run. And that was actually more intense on my body than these short, fast runs. But these short and fast runs were maybe only 30% of the mileage you ran on Sunday. Maybe they were only 
um, you know, 50% of the mileage, somewhere around there. Uh, but that short intensity has a place in recognizing that stress. So the RSS value should be identified for your own personal situation um, once you set your critical power in the Stride Power Center on the mobile app. Uh, that RSS, you'll be able to kind of see that, that overall power at that second divided by your critical power, tally that up over the whole course of your run, so that whole duration, then you'll be able to see that specific RSS for that day. You'll be able to say, hey, I ran on the trails for the first time in my life. I'm so used to running my normal, you know, four mile easy route after work on Tuesdays. But this Tuesday, my friend invited me to go run on trails. My RSS normally for an easy four mile run is about 30. This trail run that was still four miles took me a little bit longer. Sure, I might feel a little bit more tired, but your RSS for this might be 50 instead of the, the normal value that you're used to. So the thing that I wanna bring up here with RSS is this sort of last thing to talk about is this overall big picture of your running. So we know how to maybe look at power in real time. We now know what to look for in sort of trends over time between these different biomechanics, these different metrics that Stride will record. And we now know to look at this running stress score, this RSS, not in replacement of mileage or you know duration uh, training, but on top of this, sort of another value, another advantage that you have there. If you already have this in front of you, um, it won't hurt to kind of look at it and kind of identify and notice, again, these trends. Hey, maybe I notice if I have a really big week, all of a sudden my form power ratio has gone way up. I need to maybe take a little bit of downtime, wait for this specific metric to go down a little bit, and then I can get back to my normal hard training again. Um, the, the message that we want to put out here is that we want to give you a little bit more information between be, behind the uh, you know, the tools that you already have at your disposal. And our goal is to make the analysis a lot better um, and kind of kind of show these different things that we encourage you to uh, kind of look at and use as an advantage in your training. Because if you weren't wearing a stride, you know, attached to your watch, you wouldn't necessarily uh, be able to view that power in real time. If you were not wearing a stride at all, you wouldn't have the advantage of knowing all these different things behind what your body is actually doing in real time. So um, that is all I wanted to talk about today. Just sort of give a very, very brief glimpse into what we can take from Stride that you're already recording and you're not necessarily already using. Uh, we can definitely get a lot more advanced with this stuff here. There's so much information about how to improve, how to track the ratio between all of these together, but I wanted today to be a relatively simple introduction to kind of explain what you should understand between all or behind all these metrics uh, that that you already get on, on a daily basis. So um, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, this is a super fun project that we've started. Um, I want to tell everybody, if you have a suggestion for a topic, uh, please, please, please reach out to us uh, either uh, at support at stride.com or on our social media. Um, we have a great Facebook group at stride.com uh, or at uh, the facebook.com slash stride community. We're on Twitter and Instagram as well. 
Um, we're always loving to connect with the community. But if you have any suggestions and any kind of curiosities about what you want to hear, uh, we're definitely here to help and we're here to listen and try and make your next run as good as it can be, uh, give you all the tools in your toolbox to make you as good of a runner um, and accomplish all the goals that you want to accomplish. So uh, again, my name is Evan. I am really excited to um, keep putting out more of these episodes with your feedback. Um, and this wraps up episode three, the understanding the basics of the stride power meter and the metrics that it records. Thank you.